Thank you, Pastor. Let me join the preacher in welcoming you to the service tonight. You're glad to be here. Amen. Amen. I love that. I love that. Uh, open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3. Now, Sunday morning, I preached on the reiteration of the gospel in chapter 1, and I preached on the perversion of the gospel from chapter 1. Last night, I preached from chapter 2, protecting the gospel. And tonight in chapter 3, I want to preach on faith and the gospel. And I want to read the entire chapter. And once again, there was no place to start or stop in the chapter. So I just need to read all of it. And I think it's good for us anyway to read it. There are 29 verses here. I wish you'd follow closely as I read those as meaningfully as I possibly can. And they read as follows. O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. This only would I learn of you, received you the Spirit by the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith. Are ye so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are ye now made perfect in the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet in vain? He therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit, and worketh miracles among you, doeth he it by the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith? Even as Abraham believed God, it was counted unto him for righteousness. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. So then they which are be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is every one that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident, for the just shall live of faith. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is every one that hangeth upon a tree. That the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Brethren, I speak after the manner of men, though it be but a man's covenant, yet if it be confirmed, no man disannulleth or addeth thereto. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. And this I say, that the covenant, that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ the law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul that it should make the promise of none effect. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. Wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Now the mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But the scripture hath concluded all under sin that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up under the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. 
For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. He's not talking about water there, by the way. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. With that, I want us to bow our heads again and ask God's blessing on the reading of his word tonight. Father in heaven, I thank you for the good services we've enjoyed here this week. It's been a good place to be. Thank you for the people that have congregated here for every service. Thank you for the good singing that has blessed our hearts and lifted our spirits, truly lifted our spirits. The good, the good uh, singing tonight, the hymns that we've been able to sing together and relate to and, uh, and so forth, how they've challenged our hearts and blessed us. And then Lord, I thank you for the word of God that gives us a worthy reason to be here tonight. Pray that you would touch me afresh as I enlarge upon it, try to give the sense of it. Give me, I pray, a clear mind, and may I think once again with good continuity and speak intelligently and effectively and powerfully and in such a manner that we'd all get something from it, even the youngest one here tonight. And Lord, should there be unsaved ones in our service tonight, I pray earnestly they not leave here unsaved because they don't have to. Pray that they'd trust Christ as their Savior by simple faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, have mercy on us and have your will in every heart present. May we all leave here tonight and be able to exclaim, the Lord met with us tonight. God was in the service tonight. And Lord, if you'll do that for us, I'll consider that our time has been invested well. And I will praise you for it in advance right now. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. But we have an introduction. I want you to notice because of the damage that had been done by the Judaizers and the false teachers, there are four things that need to be clarified here or cleared up or dealt with. And the first one being this, the confusion prevalent there in verses 1 through 5. Specifically, they were confused about salvation. And by the way, the devil's been, he's been working on that for a long time. He works relentlessly to dilute and destroy God's plan of salvation. And uh, Satan was con uh, con very successful here because in verses in chapter 1, verses 6 and 9, he said, I marvel that you're so soon removed from him, which called you into the grace of Christ, unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some of the trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As I said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that you receive, let him be accursed. Now, one thing that I appreciate about Paul was this. What he's really saying in field or phraseology was this. I don't care if he's an angel from heaven. If he doesn't preach what I preach to you, he's not preaching you the truth. He said, I don't care if he's an angel from heaven. But anyway, Satan works relentlessly to do that. He does it through the new versions, as I've mentioned earlier in one of the other sermons. Uh, hypocritical people try to cloud the matter of salvation, and the devil has a lot of people that are willing to lend themselves for that purpose. Amen. And I need to say to you again tonight something that I may have said last night. It might have been last night I said this. The devil knows if you're right about salvation, you'd be wrong about some things and go to heaven. He also knows if you're wrong about salvation, you'd be right about a lot of things, particularly everything for that matter, and you're still going to miss heaven. And uh, the, listen, the gospel of Christ is the big thing, amen. This matter of having personal faith in Jesus Christ is going to make the difference whether you go to heaven when you die or end up in hell. Anyway, the flesh is not going to get you there. See, in this context, works and flesh are synonymous. You, there are two questions that Paul raised. You look at verse 2 and verse 3. 
This only would I learn. If you receive you the Spirit by the works of the Lord, by the hearing of faith. Verse 3, are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect in the flesh or works? And I said a moment ago in this context, works and flesh are synonymous here. You know what Jesus said about the flesh in Matthew 26, 41? Watch and pray that you are not temptation. The Spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. In John 6, 63, he said, the flesh profiteth nothing. You know what Paul said about it in Romans 7, 18? For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. If the wheel is present, I'd have to perform that which is good, I find not. You know what Paul said the, the, in the flesh? You're not going to please God at all. And we're not saved by anything having to do with the flesh. I'll tell you that. See, confusion doesn't come from God. The Bible said in 1 Corinthians 14, 33, God is not the author of confusion. Now, that only leaves one person, amen. Uh, that's the devil. He is the author of confusion. Now, what you notice, first of all, there was the confusion there caused by the Judaizers. That had to be cleared up. Notice, secondly, there was the covenant of faith with Abraham, verses 6 through 9. Verse 6 said, even as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Look at verse 8. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith preached before the gospel unto Abraham saying, and these shall all nations be blessed. Uh, the Bible said the gospel was preached to Abraham. Abraham got saved. Abraham was justified by faith just like you were justified by faith. And I'm justified by faith. Justified by faith, not by works. But the Bible is so clear in this entire chapter, which I don't have time to enlarge on all of it, of course. But essentially, where justification is by faith, and the definition of that is we're made just in the sight of a holy God. Now, folks, that, and theologically speaking, is a mouthful. We are made just in the sight of a God that cannot look on sin. Say, how in the world could that be? Because of Jesus Christ it can be. See, we're made just in the sight of Him because of His Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. The Bible said in Romans 4, 5 about Abraham, But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank God for the... Listen, I said it the other night, the war is over between you and God when you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. You may not... Listen, you can ever say a person has peace with God. Every saved person can have the peace of God. But every saved person doesn't have the peace of God. But they can have it. And probably all of us know what I'm talking about. We're justified by faith like Abraham was. The Bible said in Acts 13, 30, uh, 13, 38, Be it known unto you therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins, and by him all that believe were justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Thank God for the law. It played its part. It did his part. But now it's what Jesus said that's so vitally important to us. Amen. You remember in Matthew chapter 17 in the first 18 verses, uh, first eight verses rather, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and went upon the Mount of Transfiguration. And while they were up there, Moses and Elias appeared. You remember that? And they were having a good time there. And, and Peter said, why don't we just build some houses up here and stay up here? And a cloud overshadowed them. And a voice out of the cloud said, This is my beloved son, and whom I am well pleased. When the cloud moved away, Moses and Elias were gone. This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. In other words, God said the law played its part. 
Jesus on the scene now, you need to listen to him. And we've been listening to him for a long time, amen. The Bible said in Romans 8, 1, there's therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Listen, folks, we can shout about that. <laughs> because the gospel was preached to us like it was to him. But notice there was confusion caused by the idolaters there. Notice secondly, there was the covenant of Abraham given to Give a covenant of faith, rather, given to Abraham. But notice thirdly, there's the curse of the law, verses 10 through 13. Look at verse 10 with me. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. Verse 13. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth upon a tree. Uh, I, listen, there's a preacher in Florida, pastor of the church right near where I preach in Deltona. And uh, I understand he believes that every sinner has been justified before God. They just don't know it yet. That's not true, folks. Nobody's been made just before God unless they've trusted the Son of God as their Savior. Nobody. That's, as far as I'm concerned, that's bordering on universalism. (laughs) Every soul can be reconciled to God, but every soul isn't. The Bible said in 2 Corinthians 5, 19, to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them. Uh, Every sinner can take advantage of this, but every sinner hasn't. Would God they would. And I have to say again tonight something I've already said, and that's this. Uh, Adam's sin was imputed to us. There were three major imputations in the Bible. His sin was imputed to us. That was nothing to be excited about. Amen. Romans 5, 12. Wherefore us by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. Verse 19. For by one man's disobedience many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. You know what that's a reference to? It's a reference to the first Adam and the last Adam. The first Adam got us into a lot of trouble, folks. The last Adam, thank God, is getting us out. I, uh, I, I said the other night, I, I had some things I need to discuss with Adam and Eve when I get to heaven. I don't know if I get to do that or not, but uh, I am surmised that one day in heaven, we're going to be walking down the street, and uh, here comes a couple out of their mansion with Hollywood shades on. The robe pulled up real close around their neck, obviously trying to hide their identity, and someone's going to say, hey, that's them, let's get them. <laughs> Oh, my. But anyway, Adam's sin was imputed to us. Our sins have been imputed to Christ. Thank God for that, folks. <laughs> That's what the Bible's talking about, 2 Corinthians 5, 19. It's with it. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto us, not imputing their trespasses unto them. He's not charging us with our sins, folks. He's charging Jesus with them. But his righteousness has been imputed to us, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You know why we're regarded by Almighty God as righteous? Because of him we have his righteousness freely imputed to us. See, if you're not trusting Christ, you're under the curse, according to chapter 3, verse 18 there. Uh, John three eighteen said, We're not under. He that believed on him is not condemned. But he that believes not is condemned already. Everyone's in one of those categories. You're either not condemned or you are condemned based on whether you've trusted Christ or not. If you're here tonight as an unsaved individual uh, and, you're not, and you've never trusted Christ as Savior, you're under the curse. 
The Bible said that in John 3.18. How about John 3.36? He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. That's what the Bible said. Amen. What about John 8.24? I said, Therefore ye shall die in your sins. For if you believe not that I'm he, ye shall die in your sins. You, you don't want to die in your sins. <laughs> anyway, and I'm trying to get into my sermon here. I really, I really am. There was the confusion caused by the Judaizers. And secondly, there was the covenant of Abraham. And thirdly, there was the curse of the law that's discussed him. And fourthly, there's the condemnation by the law, verses 19 through 25. Here's what verse 22 says. But the scripture hath concluded all under sin that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. Them that believe. Well, that makes the distinction, doesn't it? See, everyone is under the law or they're under grace. And uh, those under the law are under the curse. They're condemned. Those that have trusted Christ are not under the law anymore. They're under grace, and thank God for that. Under the law, there's condemnation. What does the Bible say about that? John 3, 18. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son. Listen, folks, that takes on some dimension and magnitude when you really think it through. And the reason I said that is this. Jesus said in John, excuse me, in Matthew 10, 28, uh, he talks about the horror of condemnation. Now, he doesn't use that word. Fear not them which are able to kill the body, but not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. By the way, there's, there's, there's fire and torture and punishment in hell, folks. I don't care what people say about it. A lot of people deny that. Jehovah's Witnesses do. Um, hell really is just God's wrath being poured out on the Christ rejecting race. And I understand that. I think I do at least. Uh, how would you like to be the Father in heaven? You sent your son into this world. He never stepped out of the uh, path of righteousness and never broke a law, a man's law or God's law either one. And he was so mistreated like he was and suffered such abuse as he did and was murdered as a common criminal was. How would you feel as the father of a son like that? And listen, God's going to pour his wrath out on the Christ-rejecting world, folks. Now, I'm not glad of it, but I believe it. And I, and I preach that. You know, the Jehovah's Witnesses tell us that the story of hell in Luke 16 is a parable. You ever run into that? They say, well, that's a parable. You know what they don't understand about that? Now, you, remember that, you might remember this. What is it? In verse 22, and it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels in Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried and in hell and lifted up his eyes, being in torment, see if Abraham a far off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. And you remember what the story, how the story evolved there. And they said, well, that's uh, just a parable there. Here's what they don't understand. Uh, it's not a parable, number one, because God never used proper names in parables. But number two, if it were... It wouldn't change the thing because a parable is a simple little story that God uses to illustrate a truth of such magnitude that it would be hard for you to get hold of it if you didn't put it in the simple tenets of a parable. A parable is characteristic of the truth that it's presenting. If it were a parable, it just means it's a lot worse than we thought it was because it's a simple truth, you see. And uh, I hope I've made my point in that. But this man, if you've noticed when, when I look at those verses, there, that man is not dead. You know why I say that? He can see. See if Abraham afar off. 
and Lazarus in his bosom. That man can feel. He can feel the pain of hell. That man can thirst. That man can speak. That man can even feel compassion. He is a whole being and he's in hell. Don't listen. Don't you take some people's word for this. They say, well, you know, when you get to hell, you're just going to be a spirit flopping around down there. That's not so, folks. You're going to be a whole being when you get to hell if you're down without Christ. This man's a whole being. By the way, Moses and Elias appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration. I mean, it's been a thousand years or so, and they are still Moses and Elias, and they're still recognizable. They're still who they were. Amen. We're not just going to be spirits flopping around in eternity. We're going to be whole persons. Amen. <laughs> anyway, um, hell is about the wrath of God being poured out on the Christ rejecting race. You see, can God be angry? Some people have, you know, these do-gooders. Then have you think God is so good and so loving he couldn't be angry at anybody? That's not what the Bible said. Psalm chapter 7 verse 11, God is angry with the wicked every day. He's angry with the sodomites. He's angry with the adulterers. He's angry with the fornicators. He's angry with the liars. He's angry with the atheists. Doesn't mean he won't save them. Doesn't mean he doesn't love them. But he's angry every day. The Bible says he was. So where'd you get that? Got out the Bible. Uh, listen, you'll be encouraged by this. I get most of my sermons out of the Bible. My best ones come out of the Bible. <laughs> Do you know what the Bible said in Psalm 917? The wicked should be turned into hell. Of all the nations that forget God, there is a hell. See, the announcement of hell, folks, and that, by the way, that's not the end of the road, is it? When a person dies without Christ, we know, according to the scripture, they go straight to hell. I mean, in the time you can transfer your thoughts from here to hell, you're going to be in hell if you die without Jesus. By the way, if you die without Christ, in the time you can transfer your thoughts from here to heaven, you're going to open your eyes in the presence of God. There's no camping out on the way. My wife and I have been on the road 39 years, mostly in a camper. We don't want, we don't want any more camping. <laughs> I don't even like that song, Camping in Canaan, man. I don't know who in the world wrote something like that. But the Bible said in Revelation 20, beginning in verse 11, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face earth and heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them, and I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were open. And another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those saints, which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead, which were near. And death and hell didn't lived up the dead, which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever is not found written in the book of life is cast into the lake of fire. And that's where the end of it is. See, one of these days, folks, after we're all gone from this scene, uh, hell's going to give up its inhabitants. And the Bible said they're going to be judged for their works. Now, I don't know altogether what that means, but I know what it says. And that may, as far as I'm concerned, the people that murder babies for a living, if any front seat's in hell, they're going to have one. <laughs> judged for their works. Listen, there's some people in our world that are going to face an angry God, folks. I can't even imagine what that's going to be like. Anyone, anyway, uh, everyone, everyone that lives on this earth right now, if they're under grace or they're under the law, and they're justified or they're not, they're either saved or they're lost. Everyone. I preached a message. I, don't, I, think, I think I preached it here about Calvary, the three crosses. See, on the middle cross is a redeemer dying for sin. On this cross is a, re a receiver dying to sin. On the other cross is a rejecter dying in sin. And the Bible illustrates that everyone in this world, folks, is on one side of Calvary or the other. 
They're saved or they're lost. And, uh, and so forth. I can spend more time there, but I'm not going to. Now for the message, I want you to notice three things. And one word is key to clearing up all the confusion here. One word is key to clarifying the truth. One word is key to consoling the Galatians. That word is faith. Now, I don't know if you noticed this or not. Maybe you already have. Faith, the word faith is found in this chapter more than any other chapter in the Bible, with the exception of Hebrews 11. Fourteen times you won't find faith in this chapter. I thought about just reading the verses that had faith in them, but I decided I need to read some others as well. And at the risk of sounding repetitious, I want to reemphasize tonight three things that make faith so important to the saints. Number one, by faith we are saved, and that's obvious. Three things Paul does to settle the matter. He presents the question in verse 2. This only would I learn of you, receive you the Spirit by the works of the Lord, by the hearing of faith. Verse 5, He therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit and worketh miracles among you, doth, doeth he it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. Uh, listen, folks, Jesus took care of all the work. Uh, he, he didn't leave anything like that for us to have to do. That's why in the verse I've already quoted, 2 Corinthians 5, 19, to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them. Jesus pulled it off all by himself. Matter of fact, we're saved and kept by the power of God. We're saved by the grace of God, kept by the power of God. Our works have nothing to do with our salvation. Not a thing. So preacher, I've always been worried about losing my salvation. You know what? If God spoke to you tonight, he could say this. You're spinning your wheels and you're wasting your time and your emotions because I've been taking care of that myself. What about Philippians 1, 6? Being confident in this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Right. Say, well, I, I'm trying to stay saved. Forget it. You never could anyway. God said, I'm taking care of that. Right. How about 1 Peter 1, 4 and 5? To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that faded not away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith and salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. <laughs> kept? You know, it wouldn't be inappropriate at all if you were to leave instructions behind when you die. I want you to put one thing on my tomb. I want you to put the word kept. Wouldn't be out, listen, that wouldn't be out of order at all. It'd be a good thing to put on kept. <laughs> you know why you're still saved tonight? You're being kept. It's not because of our works, amen. Not because of what we're doing. But listen, we're saved by the grace of God. Kept by the power of God. They see, if you're not trusting Christ, you're still under that curse, aren't you? Let me give you some verses again that I've already shared with you, but I need to give these to you because of the points I'm making here. In John 3, 18, he that believed on him is not condemned, but he that believed not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. John 3, 36, he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. John 8, 24, I said therefore unto you, you shall die in your sins, for if you believe not that in me, you shall die in your sins. How about Romans eleven six? But without faith, it is, excuse me, uh, Romans eleven six. if it be of grace, there's no more of work. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. If it be of work, there's no more of grace, otherwise work is no more work. See, Paul Paul's making his point. He presents a question. Notice he proposes that we're not saved by works or law keeping. Look at verse 3. Are ye so foolish? 
having begun in the spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh, or in other words, by the works of the law or law keeping? He's referring to, you know what he's referring to? Galatianism. I may preach on that some more before the week's over. But Galatianism was saved by grace and kept by works. And you know what Paul is saying in field or phraseology? He's saying, your works didn't save you and it's not going to keep you. Your works, you couldn't be saved by your works or even kept by your works. But that's what Galatianism was. And that was because of those Judaizers that came over there and messed everything up. Paul has argued against this many times. As a matter of fact, in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, not by, not by works lest any man should boast. Uh, the Bible said, For by grace are you saved through faith in that, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. Uh, you know, if you got saved by your works, when you get to heaven, you could put your fingers under your suspenders and say, Boy, I'm going to tell you something fired in the hell that I wouldn't have made it. I guarantee you. Some people have that idea, folks. They think when they get to heaven, can you imagine? Can you imagine you're, somebody's up here, they're in heaven, and they come out and they're saying, boy, I'm going to tell you, I'm, I'm so glad I held out. Uh, I wouldn't have made it if I hadn't held out. You, you know what you're going to hear? Right down the street, there's going to be a bunch of people down there, and Paul's leading that crowd, and they're going to go, boo, boo. <laughs> you know, it's going to be more like this. I tell you, if it hadn't have been for him, if it hadn't have been for him, Amen. <laughs> oh, my. Titus 3, 5, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. Romans 3, 20, Therefore by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in the sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Verse 27, Where is boasting then? Simple. It is excluded. Folks, you can't boast of it now, and you certainly can't boast of it in heaven. Unless you're going to boast in Christ. We need to do some boasting in him. Jesus argued against that, didn't he? You remember, he used a lot of parables. In Luke 18, beginning in verse 9, he spake this parable, and the servant was trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I'm not as other men are, extortions, unjust, adulterers, even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. The publican standing afar off would not so much as lift up, up his eyes to heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The next statement, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. Have you ever noticed that everything that publican said, I mean, that Pharisee said was good? I mean, it was good. You know what his problem was? He was depending on those things to justify him before God. Here's a publican that had nothing to hold up before God. He's a common sinner. And he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Listen, it worked. <laughs> Have you ever worried about what you said when you prayed and asked God to save you? Some people do that. The devil uses that kind of stuff to harass people. I'm going to tell you, it wasn't what you said or how you said it that got you saved. It was what your heart was doing. Uh, you remember on the cross, uh, one of those thieves said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Wait, wait a minute. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. You know what? It worked. If you were leading somebody to Christ, they're on their knees, and you've told them how to be saved, you, you wouldn't say, now, here's how you pray. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. I mean, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. You wouldn't do that, but it worked. Uh, listen, getting saved, folks, is a matter of heart, 
not just what you say up here. That's when little boys and girls can be saved because they're simply trusting Christ. They're coming to Jesus. And you know what Jesus said about that? Him that cometh to me, I'll in no wise cast out. <laughs> I guarantee the devil works on some unsaved people back there at the pew. And he says, what if you go forward and God doesn't save you? You need to hear me when I say this, folks. That hasn't ever happened. Him that cometh to me, I'll in no wise cast out. You know why? He wants you to be saved a thousand times more than you want to be saved. <laughs> Peter argued against that, didn't he? What about old Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, verse 2? A devout man, one that feared God with all of his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God all the way. Four things are said about him that probably can't be said about most Christians. A devout man, above average in the practice of his faith. A devout man, one that feared God. Gave much alms to the people, prayed to God always. If you'd ask his neighbors, do you think Cornelius would go to heaven? They would probably say, if anybody does, he will. Because after all, he's a devout man. He fears God. He gives alms to the poor. He prays all the time. If anybody's going to heaven, he's going, but he wasn't saved. And the angel said, send for Simon Peter. He'll tell you what to do. You know, my first thought was, why don't you tell him? You know why the angel didn't do it? God didn't give it to them. He gave it to people like you and I. That was, that was not their call. <laughs> but the Bible said in Acts 10, 34, Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. In verse 43, To him give all the prophets witness that through his name whosoever believeth on him shall receive remission of sins. It means their, their sins are going to be remitted to, to Christ and taken from them. He proclaims that we're saved by faith, verse 6, even as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, justified. So what does justified mean? Someone said it means just as if you'd never sinned. That's true. It means more than that, though. It means just as if you never sinned, just as if you're not sinning, just as if you never will sin. See, your sins as a saved individual are under the blood of Christ past present and future. Now that doesn't mean you can let it all hang out. Uh, that just simply means you have a great moral responsibility to live a Christian life because you're not under condemnation anymore and you never will be. Past, present, and future, they've already been dealt with. Justified. Anyway, what about that Philippian jailer? You know, the Calvinists say nobody ever wanted to be saved. They based it on a private interpretation from Romans 3.10. As it is written, there's none righteous, no not one. There's none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after God. Let's see, see there, nobody ever wants to say, get saved. But that's not true. That's a private interpretation of a verse. And private interpretations are not a good idea. Amen. Anyway, uh, by the way, if nobody ever, ever wanted to be saved, why does God call sinners to him? Come unto me, all you that labor and have laden, and I'll give you rest. Look unto me, be you saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there's none else. I think that's the verse that got Charles Spurgeon saved. Isaiah 45, 22. I understand he started a church one Sunday morning in London. It was snowing real hard. He couldn't go to the church he'd planned to go to, so he turned down a little lane, went into a little Methodist chapel, and sat down under the balcony. Very few people there. The pastor wasn't there. A layman stood in the pulpit and read Isaiah 45, 22. And he said, he saw me sitting back there, and he looked at me and said, young man, look to Jesus. Young man, look to Jesus. He said, I looked at Jesus and Jesus looked at me and we've been one ever since. <laughs> Sounds kind of complicated, doesn't it? 
That old flipping jailer when he gets saved, tell the Calvinists about that. Evidently, they don't know. Acts 16, 30, he called for light and sprang in and said, What must I do to be saved? Verse 31, they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy house. Well, preacher, where is repentance in that? I'll tell you where it is. The man had already repented. He had already seen the jeopardy he was in. He'd already seen the distress he was in. He'd already recognized that he didn't want to die like this. That's what repentance will do for you. And now he said, what can I do that I can be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, they said, and thou shalt be saved. That's not complicated at all, is it? What about that Gentile woman in Luke 7, 50 that Jesus encountered when he said, Thy faith hath saved thee. Listen, if you're lost tonight, you can put your faith in Jesus Christ in this service and you can leave here born again for eternity. Here's another thing. By faith we're justified, verse 8. Now, the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the wicked, verse 8. Uh, justify the heathen rather through faith. Preach before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, And these shall all nations be blessed. Justification. Let's go over that again. Just as if you never sinned, just as if you never will sin, or not sinning now, rather, just as if you never will sin. That's what justification is. Do you know why? Because the Bible tells us that the Lord has put our sins behind his back. He's cast them into the depths of the deep sea. He's removed them as far as the east is from the west, which is an infinite distance. In other words, he says they're never going to ever be brought up and remembered against you again. I can imagine the old accuser of the brethren coming up to the Lord and saying, you know that jail fielder, you know what a jerk he used to be? And Jesus saying, what on earth are you talking about? He forgot by the way, he chose to forget. Now, we have trouble with that because we can't do that. I'm going to tell you, we're in a mess. We park on driveways and drive on parkways. We're in a mess, folks. We need help, amen. Justification made acceptable to a holy God. The Bible said, by the way, I said holy. You know, let me, let me um, enlarge on that slightly by pointing out this. In Job 25, verse 5, the Bible said this. Even the stars are not pure in his sight. Wait a minute. Where no human footprint's ever been. No human being has ever touched it. Even the stars are not pure in his sight. We have a holy God, folks. The Bible said in Isaiah chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple of the above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. We twain he covered his face. We twain he covered his feet. We twain he did fly, and one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved to the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. We have a thrice holy God. We don't, listen, we don't know how holy our God is. Even the stars are not pure in his sight. We didn't have a chance. We didn't have a chance had it not been for the Son of God. <laughs> Man, that's enough to get excited about. Ooh. Two things relative to justification. We have God's provision. See, our sins are on the blood. Romans 3.24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Let me give some verses I've already given you. Romans 4, 5. But to him that worketh not, but believe in him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Romans 5, 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Galatians 6.14, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. You know what Paul said? God forbid that I should glory in anything else. Save the cross. We have God's promise, not only His provision. See, He will never remember our sins again. We have His word on it. Listen, your sins, and you know, you know what your problem is in mine? We don't forget them. But He has. He says they'll never be brought up again. He's cast them into the sea of forgetfulness. Never to be remembered against us again. Now I'm going to tell you, that's good, that's good news. Uh, well, some people more than others, I'm sure, but it's still good news. There are four things that impressed me about that. In Psalm 85, verse 2, Thou hast covered all their sin. Isaiah 43, 25, I am he that blotteth out thy transgressions. Isaiah 43, 25 again, And will not remember thy sins. How about Matthew, excuse me, how about uh, Proverbs 28, 13? He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Now, here's the connection. You cover it, God uncovers it. But if you will uncover it, God covers it. If you want to come out on the winning end of that thing, you, you uncover it and let God cover it. He's glad to cover it. God wants to cover it. Amen. By faith we're saved. By faith we're justified. By faith we live. Four times God said that in the scripture. Habakkuk 2, 4, the just shall live by his faith. Romans 1, 17, the just shall live by faith. Galatians 3, 11, the just shall live by faith. Hebrews 10, 38, the just shall live by faith. Evidently, God meant that, amen. <laughs> Two things included in that statement. The just shall live. It, just, it doesn't just mean that one day you got saved. It means you're going to really live. Uh, the definition of live is perpetual. It means continue, uh, survive, continue to live. Uh, when you define it, it means to continue to be permanent, shall not perish, just to use the scripture. Uh, I'm glad of that. John 5, 24, Verily, verily, I say, He that heareth my words and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Now, if, if you know anything about English at all, you can read that verse and you know there's theology right, staring right into your face. It, it's not going to happen. He's been delivered from condemnation. It's not ever going to happen to him. <laughs> I like what Jesus said in John 10, 20, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. And my Father which gave them is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Now, I can hear some skeptics say, Yes, but a man might want to get out himself. Have you met anyone like that? Have you ever met someone who said, you know, I got saved back there and I know I did, but I wish I hadn't gone through with that. Now, I met some people that act like it, but I never heard them say it. <laughs> you know, Lazarus was dead in John chapter 11. You remember that? And uh, in verse 11, chapter 11, verse 3, therefore his sister sent unto him saying, Lord, behold, he that Thou, he whom thou lovest is sick. I like that statement. He whom thou lovest. Uh, we're always exhorting one another to love God, and we should. But it helps us to know to, that he loves us. We need to remind ourselves occasionally, he loves us a lot more than we love him. And it's, you know, it's hard to think that about yourself. Did you know that? I mean, you say, God knows me. Why would he love me? 
But you know what? Jesus got over there, and in chapter 11, verse 26, they're all mourning. You know what he said? Whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. You know what that means? Lazarus wasn't dead. Now, he was dead as far as we're concerned. His body was in the tomb. He'd been dead four days by then, but he wasn't really dead. Your loved ones did not die. They just changed residences. <laughs> We're going to change residences too one of these days. Maybe tonight. First Thessalonians 4.13 But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are lying and remain to the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a voice and a shout of, and, and, and so forth. He said, when you're 80, you can lose your track on something like that. See, you, you know what I'm trying to get I know those verses, but sometimes I'll get off the track with it. And it was your fault. See, we live, live. He said, shall live. It means really live. It means live vigorously. It means full of the Spirit. Uh, John 10, 10, the thief cometh not before to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. How about, how about uh, Ephesians 3.19? To know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Uh, that's really living, folks. Being filled with the fullness of God. The Bible actually labors that, doesn't it? Psalm chapter 1, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. That means happy and prosperous. It's the man that doesn't get his counsel from the world. Nehemiah 10, The joy of the Lord is your strength. By the way, God intends for you to have joy. Did you know that? I, you know, I think, preacher, I know, I believe there are a lot of people on medication that need to get a dose of meditation. A medical doctor said this. He said, I estimate that over 90% of the people I've treated in my practice had psychosomatic illnesses. In other words, they really thought they were sick. They were honest about it, but they really weren't sick. They just needed something inside. They needed some fulfillment in their life. Our world is full of people like that. The Bible says in Proverbs 7, 22, a mere heart doeth good like a medicine. A mer That's not an idle statement, folks. A merry heart doeth good like a medicine. It will help you. Amen. Philippians 4, verse 4, rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. <laughs> oh, my. Um, and other verses I could share with you. But Christian churches do not have to be dry. Christians and churches don't have to be dry and dead and lifeless. And by the way, your church isn't dry and dead and lifeless. You'd be surprised at some of the ones I have preached in, though. Sometimes I've offered 50 cents for an amen couldn't get one. And I almost went to a dollar about a week ago. Matter of fact, it was last Sunday. Uh, I, was, I was almost willing to offer a dollar for an amen. <laughs> Some churches don't know. That, they just don't know, you know. <laughs> I heard about one fellow that he was in a kind of an uptown church and every time the preacher said something good, he would say, amen. Boy, people looked. And he'd kind of cow down a little bit and after a while he'd forget and say, amen. And, and uh, 
after a while, two or three of the deacons came by. You have to watch deacons. They came down where he was sitting. Sir, what's wrong with you? He said, I have religion. So well, you didn't get it here. <laughs> I heard about this old sharecropper that was a member. I guess probably the only church had in town, but he was a member of that church, and he was doing the same thing. Every time the preacher said something good, he would shout, hallelujah, amen. And, uh, and it bothered the Pharisees. And finally, a delegation came out to his farm. He's out in the field plowing, had one mule, and, and he's out there plowing with his mule, and they came up, and, uh, and they conversed with him for a little while, just small talk, you know. And finally, they got around to it, said, uh, well, the reason why we came out here is uh, we're just wondering why you have to say amen and hallelujah in the church so much. And uh, he said, well, I'll tell you, fellas. He said, every time I think about my Lord Jesus walking up that hill, carrying his cross as far as he could. And they nailed him to that cross and they sucked it down to that hole and they tore his hands and his feet and, and they crucified him. He said, hold my mule, I'm about to shout again. <laughs> oh my, churches don't have to be dead. Listen, some churches are so, as dead as last year's bird nest. As dead as cracker juice. <laughs> Listen, I've been in some churches, folks. When the rapture occurs, they're going first. Because the Bible said the dead in Christ shall rise first. <laughs> I am. Uh, in one church, I understand this mother sitting there and a little boy beside of her. And he looked up there behind the pastor and on the, behind him on the wall was a list of names. And he said, Mama, what's that list of names up there? She said, son, that's a list of the names of those who have died in service. He said, mama, the morning service or the evening service? <laughs> I, listen, I think I preached in this church. I heard about a church that was so dead they were having service one night and one of them died in the service. They called the rescue squad and they came and did the best they could but they drug nine out before they got the right one. I think I've been there. Anyway, there are five things that faith can do for us. And I'm, I'm heading for a close here. Faith enables us to access eternal life. John 1, 12, but as many as received him, to them gave the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which are born not of blood, nor the will of man, nor the will of so forth, but of God, he said. Faith in Christ. It enables us to access to eternal life. It enables us to please God, Hebrews eleven six. But without faith, it is impossible to please Him. I'm going to tell you something about God, folks. He doesn't deserve our doubts. But if you're a Christian, you've had some. I think it's human. The Bible said in Luke seven twenty, of those born of women, there's not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. When John got in trouble and was facing death, he sent two of his disciples over to Jesus to ask him, "Are you really the one, or should we look for another?" I mean, one of the greatest prophets ever traversed planet Earth had some doubts, had some bouts with doubt. We're going to have those. But faith enables us to please God. Faith enables us to access the promises of God. John 15, 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Faith enables us to access protection from God. Amen. 
And I could go on and on with this. I'm not going to do it. You've been a good audience. I appreciate it so much. I want us to stand. And with their heads bowed and their eyes closed, when our musicians to come. I don't know your heart tonight. I don't know what you ought to do, but you do. And I'm not a high-pressure evangelist, but I want to give you an opportunity to do what God has spoken to your heart about tonight. If you ought to use this altar, I want you to feel free to do so. Father in heaven, I thank you for the word of God and all that is revealed to us in this chapter and so many things I didn't really have time to deal with. Thank you, Lord, for what it says to us who have trusted Christ as our Savior and Him alone. Thank you that we have assurance of our salvation. We have assurance of a place in heaven because of our faith in Christ. And so many other things that emanate from this chapter that have been a blessing to us. And I pray for everyone here tonight, anyone that needs to use the altar, that they will, and nobody would leave here with a heavy heart unnecessarily. I pray for that in Jesus' name. While our heads remain bowed, our musicians are playing for us. Would you let Jesus have his way in your heart tonight? That's all in the world I'd encourage you to do. Just let Jesus have his way in your heart tonight.